0: He currently serves on in the International Advisory Council for the Combat Anti-Semitism Movement. I want to thank Mr. Carr for all of the work he has done, all the work he's doing, and all the work he will continue to do. Well, thank you so much. Avi, thank you. How lucky are we to have him? Avi, thank you. You are a warrior. And, uh, and look, you've made uh, you've made a uh, family business. Your son made a movie. Shiras doing it. all of the, the behind the scenes. Your parents are here. This is really uh, it is really a family business, and as it should be for all of us. For all of us, right? Um, I'm so honored to share this evening with my dear friends, with Ken and
1: Caroline,
0: and Richard, and Itahar and broken and just, and Melanie, I mean, what an amazing collection of, uh, of real leaders who, uh, who above all, speak with moral clarity. And isn't that what we need so much? But most of all, most of all, I want to thank you. I want to thank our audience, uh, our physical audience and our audience, of global audience around the world watching, because you have taken time out of your lives to focus on this, most urgent and pressing issue. And it is an urgent and a pressing issue. In 2019, I was appointed by the President of the United States and the Secretary of State to lead America's fight against this ancient yet recurring indefatigable human sickness that is Jew hatred. And I took that appointment at a time of rising anti-Semitism throughout the world Who could have believed that less than 80 years after the end of humanity's greatest crime, that took two-thirds of the Jews of Europe, that Jew-hatred would be rising, even in Europe? And yes, even in the United States, among the most philo-Semitic countries in the history of the world. Who could have imagined such a thing? And the question I received so often including from members of Congress, is how could this be happening? What is going on that we are seeing in this tsunami of hatred? We are, in fact, seeing anti-Semitism rising from three disparate ideological sources, all of them relevant, to this conference that brings us here today. We are seeing anti-Semitism rise from the ideological source of the far-right, these are ethnic supremacists who hate everyone unlike themselves, but Jews primarily first on the list. They occupy vile internet chat rooms. They conduct torchlit marches, the likes of which we thought we had long since graduated from. They are the chief source of violence to Jews in the United States simply white supremacists which occupy a very prominent piece of this far-right group, it's not only white supremacy. It is ethnic supremacy from various sources. And as we heard Itamar Marcus explain earlier so very well, one of the core features of Palestinian anti-Semitism is exactly that. In fact, Palestinian anti-Semitism, borrowed an enormous amount of the imagery and the mythology and the hatred that we see on display in the anti-Semitism of the far-right, including from white supremacists. That's why when you look at at the caricatures in Palestinian media, it's reminiscent of Der Sturm. When you look at Palestinian textbooks, you see Holocaust denial. a common feature of anti-Semitism of the far-right. And when you see what is spoken on Palestinian media, you see that it boils over with ethnic hatred for the other, and of course again, Jews primarily. We are seeing anti-Semitism rise, and thank you for that, that you've made the connection also from militant Islam. Militant Islam is the main source of violence to the Jews of Western Europe, and it is now a source of violence in the United States. We saw marauding bands raging through the streets of New York and Los Angeles. It shocked all of us who know the United States and know American values, and we are seeing it on the rise in America. But militant Islam isn't just a problem in Belgium, and Paris, and now in Los Angeles, and in New York. Militant Islam boils over right here.
1: Again, we heard earlier
0: said that militant Islam finds a home and a platform in Palestinian anti-Semitism. And the third the third ideological source of anti-Semitism which we are seeing grow in, in staggering metastatic fashion throughout the world is what is often called the new anti-Semitism. The anti-Semitism of the radical left. And while Palestinian anti-Semitism borrows the imagery and the language, the vernacular, the lexicon of the far right, it derives enormous support from this new anti-Semitism from the radical left. All three of these ideological sources, disparate camps, we would think, my goodness, the far right, the radical left, militant Islam, these should be ideological camps that hate each other more than they hate anything else. On earth. And yet, and yet they find common purpose when it comes to directing their venom against the Jewish people and the state of Israel. That is the milieu, and that is the problem. And I could speak about each of these variants of the disease for the next hour. But we didn't come here to dwell on problems. You didn't devote so much of your time to hear how bad things are. And since I am closing this conference, I'm going to spend the next few minutes talking about solutions, because we are here to talk about solutions. How do we combat this? How do we roll this back? How do we do, as Burke just so beautifully said, how do we put this disease into the remission where it belongs? I'm going to outline six points, six simple points. By the way, there's more I could say. I'm going to narrow it down to just six. Six points that if we truly embrace them and enact them can be be game-changers for us. First, first we have to tear down any distinction between anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. Anti-Zionism doesn't sometimes lead to anti-Semitism. Anti-Zionism doesn't occasionally bleed into anti-Semitism. We have to make the case very clearly that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. And that's why the Secretary of State in 2019, my former boss, and one of my heroes, Mike Pompeo, stood before 18, yes, he deserves applause. He deserves a Stood before 18,000 activists at the AIPAC policy conference that year and said, let me go on the record, by the way, when a member of the cabinet says, Let me go on the record, that means fasten your seatbelts. You're not getting a slip of the tongue here or a casual, off the cuff comment. You're getting the United States policy. He said, Let me go on the record. Anti Zionism is anti Semitism. And that's exactly what it is. Brooke was right in what she just said that political Zionism started 150 years ago. But let's be very clear. Zionism wasn't created in 1948. Zionism didn't spring out of the first Zionist Congress. Zionism was born in Pasha Lechletha. Zionism found its soul when Moses led the Jewish people to the Promised Land. And Zionism was expressed in painful longing by the Babylonian captives, who sat on the banks of the rivers of Babylon and said, That is what Zionism is. And if anyone, if anyone seeks to extirpate the connection of the Jewish people to the Jewish homeland, what they are practicing is anti-Semitism, plain and simple, and we have to say it everywhere. Second, we have to double down on Jewish peoplehood. This is something, sadly, that many Jews in the diaspora have forgotten. Yes, we are a religion. Yes, we have a faith, in God. Yes, we are a culture. But let's not forget. Let's not forget what we were first. We were first Amistadim. And when we take the Torah out of the Aron HaKodesh every week, we say, "Baruch We are a people, and by the way, it is by virtue of our peoplehood that we have a right to self-determination in our ancestral homeland. Religions don't get countries. Nations get countries. And if we forget the core essential identity of the Jewish people as an ethno-national people, we do ourselves a grave disservice and we give our enemies the tools by which they can undermine our existence. This is a key point. We have to double down on Jewish peoplehood. We have to not only teach our own people that we are a people, But we have to teach the world that the Jewish people are a people. One of the chief manifestations of the anti-Semitism of the Palestinians and of the radical left. It's not only to deny our connection to the Jewish homeland. It is to deny the very character of the Jewish people as a people. To deny Jewish ethnicity. And too many Jews have joined with our enemies in undermining Jewish ethnicity. How can we possibly fight anti-Semitism if we don't know who we are? Second is double down on Jewish peoplehood. Am Yisrael. Am Yisrael Chai. We have to shout it from the rooftops, third. Third is we have to combat all forms of anti-Semitism, all the ideology. We can't pick and choose. There are three ideological sources, as I've said. And you know what? If you leave two thirds or even one third of the tumor untreated, the patient doesn't do well. So if you're serious about combating the scourge of Jew hatred, you have to fight it no matter what ideological clothing it wears. And that means we not only fight neo Nazis, we not only fight the, ideo- the ideology that spawns these, these hateful terrorists. But we also have to fight the radical Marxist ideology of the left, a worldview that gives rise to antisemitism as clearly as B follows A. This is something that far too many Jews refuse to do. But it is critically important that we do it. Look, the ideology of the radical left holds that the world is defined through a perpetual struggle of oppressed and oppressor. Who are the oppressors? Well, they're people of privilege. And while white privilege is often cited as an an exemplar of privilege, white Jewish privilege is often the most noxious form of oppression in the worldview of the purveyors of this radical ideology. By the way, if you assign people societal roles based on the color of their skin, I, I think there's a very common word for that, racism. But when you call Jews privileged oppressors purely because they're Jewish and supposedly white no matter the color of their skin, well, there's a word for that, too. anti-Semitism. Let's be clear on what this is. And let's be clear about how pernicious this is. And how widespread this is. And how mainstream this is becoming. Too often we try to play the game of the purveyors of this ideology.
1: And so I often hear it said
0: well, did you know... The majority of Israel today isn't even white. The majority of of Israel today is so-called brown people, people who come from the Middle East, Mizrahi Jews. Well, that's true. And we absolutely should point that out. I happen to be very proud of that being an Iraqi Jew. I'm the son of a refugee from Iraq. But my goodness, does it matter? I mean, if it weren't the case that a majority of Israelis happen to come from, from, from Arabic-speaking countries and from Middle, East, or Middle Eastern countries, I should say, not only Arabic-speaking, Middle Eastern countries, that therefore, the anti-Semitism of the radical left would be justified. You see, when we play that game, we validate a poisoned ideology that will always lead to the same place. It will always lead to the rejection of the Jewish people as a people, and to the rejection of the the Jewish cause as being just. And so we've got to fight these ideologies. If an ideology is wrong, we shouldn't be embarrassed to stand up and say this is wrong. And that's whether it is a right-wing ideology, or a left-wing ideology, or an Islamist ideology. We have to fight all of them. And if we don't fight all of it, we're not serious about fighting anything. Fourth, it's been said many times tonight, campuses, campuses, campuses. Our greatest treasure, my friends, is our youth, our young people. If we consign our young people to vile ideological indoctrination, what does that say about us, about our priorities? Fighting anti Semitism in schools and campuses means, yes, protecting Jewish students from harassment and discrimination, for sure. I was very proud that our administration, the last administration, issued an executive order, President Trump issued an executive order applying Title VI civil rights protections to Jewish students on campus. I was at the White House when he signed it. He looked at the camera and he said, Let me make this very clear. If you are a university and you're promoting the harassment and discrimination of your Jewish students, you are going to lose a lot of money. Don't expect federal funds. I promise you, you know how it is. Don't, don't expect you know how it looked look right at the camera, you know how it does that. I promise you every single university president and chancellor in the country heard those warning shots loud and clear. It is critically important to protect Jewish students against harassment and discrimination. But let's be clear, that's not sufficient. That's a start. But we've got to bring balance. We've got to bring balance to our schools. Yes, for anti-Semitism that doesn't rise to the level of harassment and discrimination is protected speech, the First Amendment in the United States is a gift and not a burden. But just because anti-Semitism is protected speech, doesn't mean it has to be propagated all around us. And in the academic institution, where kids are supposed to be taught things, isn't it important that there be balance, ideological balance, two sides of the story? We've got to bring balance to our campuses and to our high schools and to our middle schools, where anti-Semitism is in being propagated. Let me tell you story. This stuff is real, folks. A student at a premier university, one of the best in the world, in the United states one of the best in the United States, but really one of the best academic institutions in the world, gave me the answer sheet to his math class. I kept a copy. It says, you know, the derivative of such and such, so and so, the integral of so and so. And then it says, another day in the occupied Palestinian territory, Zionist forces murder children. And then it goes back to math. And the kid who gave this to me in a voice reflecting utter exhaustion, said to me, in math class, I can't even escape this? In math class? That's right. The answer is, that's right, you can't escape this, even in math class. Because just like the old antisemitism, the so-called new antisemitism, which isn't very new, is just as maniacal, just as obsessive, just as insane in its focus on its target. And so yes, even in math class, you'll get a good dose of it. That's what's happening. And we shouldn't stand for it. We shouldn't be donating to universities that aren't bringing balance to the campus. We certainly shouldn't be supporting them. And we have to insist that we're going to send our kids to places where they're going to get a real education, not ideological indoctrination. Fifth, we have to suffocate state and semi-state sponsors of anti-Semitism. The world's chief sponsor, not only of terrorism, but of anti-Semitism, is the Islamic Republic of Iran. It is responsible for a global tsunami of anti-Semitic venom in the Muslim world, and it propagates that hatred in the Arab world as well largely through Hezbollah, which runs a network of anti-Semitic schools. Now the Islamic Republic of Iran is a chief funder and chief supporter of Palestinian anti-Semitism. Of course, Palestinian anti-Semitism stands on its own, semi-state sponsor of terrorism, the likes of which is shocking and jaw-dropping. In 2016, the Palestinian Authority reissued textbooks that it decided to use in its schools, new editions of textbooks. I mention the date because this is before the Trump administration. So nobody can say that it was the strong policies calling out, holding accountable the Palestinians that might have prompted them to go the other way. This is before the Trump administration. 2016, they issued a new edition of their textbooks. The anti-Semitic content was worse than the previous edition. In fact, it was so bad that in Gaza, Hamas decided in Hamas schools to use PA textbooks. And you know how much they like each other. This is what's going on. And every single country that provides money and funding to the Islamic Republic of Iran or to the Palestinian Authority, when they are pushing and promoting and multiplying anti-Semitic propaganda throughout the world, is in effect collaborating in the state sponsorship of anti-Semitism. No country should be doing that. That's why the United States cut off the PA. By the way, Sweden was so appalled by Palestinian textbooks that they cut off the PA. We've got to do that now. And we've got to insist that every country in the world refuse to allow
1: the hard-earned
0: tax money of their population to promote anti-Semitism throughout the world. Lastly and finally, Look, you can play defense in the fight against Jew hatred, and you have to. When you're facing a a vicious onslaught, you've got to defend against that onslaught. But let me ask you this. Are wars won without mounting an offense? Can you even win a football game without putting an offensive team on the field? No. If you want to win a strategic victory in the fight against Jew hatred, you've got to also go on the offense and not just defend. But how do you go on the offense? How do you go on the offense against what is, at its core, what is at its core really a worldview? An idea, I would argue, a spiritual sickness. You go on the offense against that by a by proactively driving a philo-Semitic narrative that breeds an appreciation of and understanding of the breathtaking story of the Jewish people, the biblical story of the Jews and the values of Judaism that have shaped civilization. You cannot tell the story of France or of Germany or England or Poland or Russia without talking about the Jewish story in these countries. When I was special envoy, I had the great honor of working with our interlocutors in Germany, who in 2019, nineteen, ready right for this? 2020 actually commemor- it was delayed then because of COVID, but commemorated, ready for this? 1,700 years of Jewish history in Germany. 1,700 years. And so I asked our German interlocutors, what are we doing so that every kid in every classroom, in every city, in the Federal Republic of Germany knows that it's 1,700 years and not only the number 1,700.
1: about the breathtaking
0: contributions of the Jewish people to Germany. And by the way, vice versa. I asked the question, I said, how many German kids know that the vernacular language of Ashkenazi Judaism from Russia to England is a form of German? Not many was the answer I got. My friends, if we want to get serious against fighting Jew hatred, we have to turn the tables and talk about those values that have, that have undergirded Western civilization. Okay, I think you know a little bit about this, about how we save the West. Philo-Semitism. In the United States, and I say this, I don't give a global audience, but, but there are many Americans in the room. In the United States, for 43 years, Every single president of the United States, every year, has declared a period of time for celebrating Jewish contributions to the United States. It used to be Jewish Heritage Week, and since 2016, it's been Jewish American Heritage Month. It's every May. And by the way, May was chosen because of Yom S'mot. No, no kidding. In fact, when it was Jewish Heritage Week, it would move between April and May, always the week of Yom S'mot. It's a staggering fact. For those of you who are Americans in the room, did you know this? I bet you didn't I spoke. I spoke all over the United States, in front of American audiences, including Jewish leaders, who would look at me with blank stares. Now, I'd okay, well, OK, let me ask you this. Have you heard of Black History Month? Oh, yes, everyone says, we've heard of Black History Month. Of course. You know why? Well, because there's content. Airports are decorated. Netflix has programs. Every school has, has a curriculum that is actually talked about in classroom. But you know, it's not the fault of the president that Jewish American heritage Month has little content. It's the fault of the Jewish community. It's our job to inject content into a presidentially declared celebration of our own heritage. And we haven't done too good a job. I'm happy to say That through the efforts of my team, the Special Envoy team when I was in government, and through the efforts of the Combat Anti-Semitism movement on this board I serve, that is changing in a big way. This year, 130 cities, 130 mayors, have acknowledged Jewish American Heritage Month. Every single Republican governor signed a joint statement acknowledging Jewish American Heritage Month. Many democratic governors have declared Jewish American Months for their state, sometimes in major events in the city hall. What we're doing is federalizing Jewish American Heritage Month to bring it down to where the rubber meets the road, the place where educational policy is created, where law enforcement training happens. And this is amazing national revolution in the recognition of Jewish American Heritage Month is only the first step. The next step will be curricula, So that we teach that Jewish peoplehood is real. That the Jewish connection to the Jewish homeland is eternal. That the Jewish capital has been eternal and undivisible since the time of King David. Thank you for opening this conference with that, that the Founding Fathers of the United States based the founding of America on Jewish values. That Hebrew was actively considered to become the official language of the United States of America because to that extent, the Founding Fathers of America embraced the Jewish story and the biblical values. We need to be doing this in the United States and in every country around the world. We all need to celebrate Jewish heritage. And then you know what happens? Not only do we strengthen the Jewish people, not only do we remind our non Jewish friends of their own values at a time when Western values are under attack, but then we get to define the anti Semites of the world. Instead of only talking about Jew hatred and the Holocaust and allowing the haters of our people to define us, we get to define them. As standing against all of those miraculous things that we brought to the world, the decency, the goodness, God, and the global standard of ethics. And then, and then we really get to put this disease into remission. My friends, we have begun the month of taboos. And as you know, we are approaching the and then a few weeks later to And we learned that we lost the second temple because of The inability of our own people to come together Embrace our mission, our reason for being in this world, our heritage, our history, and in fact to embrace the godly mission for which we were chosen. It is my prayer that through the work of remarkable leaders like you, Avi, through the work of remarkable leaders the likes of which we have heard during during this conference, and audiences like you who deeply care about this problem and want to make a difference. It is my prayer that in these next few weeks, we will put aside all division. We will put aside those things that force us apart. And we will together, together embrace our journey, embrace our connection, to our history and our God and our homeland, and together build tikkun olam and that better world, that better world that our children and grandchildren so richly deserve. Thank you so very much for all that you do. Thank you for having me. And it was honor you. Thank you. Videos from the Holy Land. Support our work by donating today.